Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. Setting the oppressed free through fasting. And then if you'd also take your Bibles and turn over to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. You just kind of put your finger in there. And in the book of Isaiah, the Lord speaks through him and he addresses the type of fasting. These people are, they're fasting, but it's just this religious thing that really is, lacks the purpose and the power for fasting. And they were just going on and living however they wanted to live before. And, and he says this, verse 5. He says, is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. Underline that in your Bible. And to break every yoke. And he goes on to say, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? When you do that, the next verse says, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. And if, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will be, guide you always, and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. We could keep on reading, but I'm going to have to stop there. Isaiah speaks of a fast. Anointed by the Holy Spirit. He speaks of a fast that will set the oppressed free. And that will break every yoke or every bondage that people are under. Now most of you are familiar with Elijah who stood alone on Mount Carmel. You're familiar with him, 1 Kings 19. Elijah had a showdown with 450 prophets of Baal. Now, a little bit of background, a little bit of history there. Elijah comes upon the scene, and the nation of Israel was in a horrible backslidden state. They had given themselves over under the leadership of Ahab and Jezebel, They had given themselves over to the the worship of Baal. And as part of that, Jezebel was a major supporter of the worship of Baal. And so she had, Ahab, had many of the prophets of the Lord killed and put to death. And so Elisha comes on the scene. And whenever he comes on the scene, he calls, he prays, and he asks God to shut off the rain. And for years, it stopped raining. Okay? Then, he calls for, in essence, what we're going to say is a showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. He goes and meets with Ahab, and he says, we're going to have the nation gather together on Mount Carmel. 
and we're going to see whose God is real. So on that day, the people all gathered together. There, there were 400 prophets of Ashtra and 450 prophets of Baal who were there that day. And Elijah looks at the people, at the nation, and he says, Now listen, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If Baal is God, then go ahead and serve them. But if the Lord Almighty is God, then you serve him. And he says, and here's how we'll know who's God. The God who answers by fire, that's the God we're going to serve. And so what he does is they build two altars. And as they build these two altars, the the 450 prophets of Baal begin to call out to their God. And and they begin to, to call down and pray to their God, but nothing happens. And Elijah begins to taunt them. Well, maybe your God is tired. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God is hard of hearing that he can't hear you. And he goes, you know, hey, well, maybe your God is in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's disposed. He doesn't have time. What's going on? And then he says, whenever they're, and, and the people begin to cut themselves, and they get in this frenzy, calling upon their God, but nothing happens. And so Elijah says, okay, now it's, it's go time now. And Elijah says, well, this is what I want you to do before we get started so that there's no confusion. Why don't you get a bunch of water and dump it on the altar and on the wood and on the sacrifice? And they bring a bunch of water and they dump it on. And he says, now do it again. And they go and they do it again. And he says, do it a third time. And they do it a third time. And the water, there was so much water, the, the wood and the sacrifice were soaked. And the, the water the, around the trench, around this this altar that they had built was filled with water. I just said, now we can do it. Now we're ready. Now we're ready. And so he begins to call upon the Lord. And in that moment, the scripture tells us that God answered by fire and that, that fire fell from heaven and it hit the altar. It consumed the sacrifice, the wood, and it dried up all of the water. It even lapped up all the water that was in the trench around the sacrifice. And then he says to the people, take care of these false prophets. And the people rise up and kill 450 false prophets of Baal. Then he goes on and says, I want you to look ahead. He sends a servant out and said, I want you to go look. And as the servant goes out and looks, he says, do you see anything happening? He says, there's nothing out there. He says, go look again. He looks again. And eventually he sees a a small cloud about the size of a hand. And he says, you guys get ready because rain's about to come. You get ready because it's, you know, you got to understand this. It's been years. People are dying from from lack. The, The ground has produced nothing. It's been drought for years. And Elijah says, get ready because it's beginning to rain. And he tells the king Ahab, he says to king Ahab, you better, you better get your chariot and you better get hooked up because it's going to rain and you're not going to make it back before the rain starts. And so what Elijah does, supernaturally, he, he tucks his robe into his pants and he runs ahead. I believe it was like 20-some miles. He runs ahead of the king Ahab and his chariots and he beats him into the place that they were running towards. Now, I mean, he was supernaturally, he was empowered. Now, here's where our story gets a little bit complicated, though. Because here's Elijah, he's a prophet, 
He's anointed by God. He prays and the rain stops. He kneels and he prays and it begins to rain after years of not raining. He prays and fire comes down from heaven and consumes an altar. And the sacrifice and the wood and all the water that's there. I mean, Elijah, if you read a little bit more about Elijah, earlier on in his ministry, um, there was a widow at Zarephath. And he told her, if you give to me first, you supply my need, and God will take care of yours. And the jug of oil and the flour never went, never ran out that whole time during this drought. Also in Elijah's ministry, we find that he raised that lady's son, died. And Elijah prayed for him, and he was risen from the dead. Elijah was a man, he was a prophet who was accustomed to power and to the anointing of God's spirit upon his life. But after this incredible victory, he comes into a really difficult place for him. Because here's the thing. As he, as he goes back to, heads towards the town, Queen Jezebel has, Ahab tells her, he just killed 400 prophets of Baal. And fire fell from down from heaven and ate up this sacrifice. And so Jezebel says, you tell Elijah this. Let the gods deal with me severely if by this time tomorrow he's not as one of them. Elijah just called down fire from heaven and consumed an altar. He just stood toe-to-toe with 450 prophets of Baal. He challenged them, and here's this crazy woman. What does he do? He squealed like a girl, and he took off running. He was afraid of her. And we're going to talk about the place that he finds himself in, but I want you to understand this, that even though... God can use a prophet like Elijah in incredible ways. There still are places in people's lives that are places of weaknesses, of frailties, of inadequacies that God wants to strengthen you and I in. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'd be happy if I could just like call down fire from heaven. I'd be happy that if I prayed, God would raise someone from the dead or that I could pray and it would rain. Or Elmer Towns, in, in his book on fasting for spiritual breakthrough, Elmer Towns writes about this, and he refers to this portion of Scripture and what's taking place here as an Elijah fast. And he says this, that there in the wilderness, the prophet's negative habits emerged. You're like, well, how can he have a negative habit? I just thought it was just the devil coming against him, and and he was discouraged. But here's the thing, even incredible men of God who are used mightily have some habits or attitudes of the mind that need to be adjusted. Now listen to this. He says, Elijah's problem was not Jezebel. Elijah's problem was himself. Jezebel's threat revealed to Elijah that he was not in control. So he not only fled from her, but he also isolated himself from his people, the nation of Israel. Journeying to the south and into the kingdom was divided. Northern kingdom being Israel, southern kingdom being Judah. Journeying to the south, he left his servant and went a day's journey in the wilderness. He deliberately chose to go to a place where there was no food. And there Elijah, and he left his servant, runs to the, down to the region of Judah... He leaves his servant and he goes a day's journey into the wilderness. He wanders into the wilderness for about 20 miles, commentators say. And there he finds, he falls under a broom tree and he prays for God. God, just take my life. 
But now, if Elijah really meant that prayer, if he really meant that prayer, Jezebel was very happy to, to take care of that for him. But I want to share this with you. Elijah had a, a thinking problem. He had a, an emotional problem. Like many today, his inability to remain in control and to know that his future was secure left him feeling abandoned and deeply depressed. Elijah was a victim of his own negative emotional habits, Towns writes. Now here's the thing. All of us have habits. Some of our habits are good and some of our habits are bad. You can define a habit by saying a habit is a behavior pattern that's acquired by frequent repetition, that it is reflected in regular or increased performance. The word habit comes from the root meaning clothing that is usually worn, like a nun's habit. But a clothing that's usually worn, a habit is one of those things that you just kind of put on when you're not getting dressed up. Like in the morning, if I'm not going anywhere, there's certain clothes that I just kind of normally, I just put that on. I put on that old shirt. I put on those old sweatpants. That's the, it's kind of like that, when I'm not dressing up, when no one's seeing me, I got these shirts, uh, these t-shirts. I just normally put them on. And habits are some of those things that we just put on when no one's really looking at us. It's kind of like our default setting in life. We just naturally go back to that. Unless we change that setting, and a typical response is go back to this habit. Now, habits express themselves in simple outward traits or in complex emotional responses and habitual attitudes towards life. I want you to think about that one. Habitual attitudes towards life. There's sometimes where when pressure comes on us, it's like, well, I knew things weren't going to work out for me. Things can be going great for you. And, and you know, one bit negative word, and you're like, well, yeah, I knew. Uh, I knew things would never change. It's that those attitudes that are kind of default settings in our minds that the Scripture says that we're not to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. But you and I are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, here's the deal. God promises that fasting can break self-destructive habits. Fasting invites God into our problems. Then in the strength of God, victory is possible. And Towson, I'm going to share with you a little bit more about what he wrote. Towns wrote this. He said, people suffering from emotional habits similar to those of Elijah often struggle with one of several kinds of self-image problems. A negative self-image a low self-image, a threatening self-image, or self-rejection. Because of his emotional habits, when problems arose that threatened his control over circumstances or his self-image, Elijah had a tendency to withdraw from people and to run from his problems, to slip into despondency, to become burned out, to suffer with self-pity. Now, some of us will say, how could he do that? He had just called down fire from God. Why didn't he stand up that time? God would have came through for him. And yet, how many times have we faced situations where it's like that that voice in our head that says, see, you've not really changed. God's not going to hear your prayers. You can't do that. That those voices that are the negative voices that kind of speak 
discouragement and fear into people's lives. Well, just real quick, there's a couple things that we can learn from Elijah's experience. The first is that if we're not careful, defeat can follow a great victory. Defeat can follow a great victory if you and I are not careful. And there's a numerous portions of Scripture that would remind us of that. One of them would be Noah. Noah was, the Scripture said, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he preached against the drunkenness of a generation. Okay? I mean, Noah just said, you know, what you guys are doing is wrong. This is not acceptable. Come turn back to God. Turn back to God. And to such a degree that God destroyed all the families on the earth except for Noah and his family. They were saved in the ark. And then after God delivers him, what does Noah do? Noah goes out, plants a vineyard, gets drunk, and God judges his children as a result. We think of Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith. He trusted God. When God said to get up, pick up and go, I'm going to take you to a land that I'm going to give to you. Abraham picks up and he trusts God and heads out. Yet we find that on two occasions, Abraham lied about his wife being his wife and he said that she was his sister so that he could protect himself. And in fact, the one time the king this leader of the area takes his wife, Abram's wife, Sarai, and he puts her into his harem, and God begins to bring judgment upon the guy. And the guy's like, what are you trying to do to me? Why didn't you just tell me that she was your wife? But because of fear, he lies. The scripture tells us this, that let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, the second thing I want to point out to you just real quick is that, that if we're not careful once again, we can get depressed doing God's work. Some people say, well, wait a minute. If I'm doing what God wants to be wonderful, God used Elijah mightily, yet he could not see what God was doing in the lives of others. Remember what Elijah said? Numerous times. He said, I am the only one who has not bowed their knee to Baal. But God said to him, no, Elijah, there's 7,000 in Israel, who have not bowed their knee to Baal. He was so focused upon himself that he could not see the bigger picture. And so we get too inward focused. It's easy for discouragement and depression to come upon us. And the other thing real quick is that past victories do not necessarily break bad habits. Because God uses you mightily, because God works in your life and you have numerous victories, does not mean that there's still not work for God to do. That there's still not thought patterns or attitudes of our hearts that God wants to transform, that He wants to deliver us from, that He wants to set us free from. What do we do when we find ourselves in a situation like Elijah was in? And you can take your Bibles in 1 Kings 19. We'll start at verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. And have you ever felt that way? That's it, God. I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get it up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down. 
the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? That's a good one for you to underline if you write in your Bible. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because God's going to ask him that same question again. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain and in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Now, what do we do when we find ourselves in these situations? These situations where you feel trapped. These situations where you feel paralyzed. That's how Elijah felt. He felt trapped. He felt paralyzed. And looking back, for us, we can say, how could he feel that way? I don't understand this. How could Elijah feel this way? He called down fire from heaven. He raised the dead. Now, What do we need to do? What we need to do is we need to do number one is to recognize your limitations. Elijah knew what he needed to do. He needed to go to the place where God had revealed himself to his people. He needed to go to Sinai where God revealed himself to Moses. But he was not ready for the trip. And an angel of the Lord told him, that the journey was too great for him. And he allowed the angel of the Lord to minister to him. The second thing, so we, you and I need to know what our limitations are. We need to recognize our limitations, that in our own strength, there's thought patterns, there's attitudes, there's habits, that in your own strength, they're too strong for you. In your own ability, you say, well, I've tried to change. In your own ability, those things have not been defeated yet in your life, but they will be. So know your limitations. The second point is go where you can meet God. Elijah knew his limitations. He allowed the angel to minister to him. He allowed the angel to feed him. And the second thing is go where you can meet God. 
Horeb was the mountain range, and Sinai was the tall peak where God appeared to Moses after the Exodus. It's there that, remember, Moses met with God, and then came down and found the people, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Okay, he gave him his law. You and I have places where we've met God before, both literally and symbolically. There's places where you've met God before. There's places in your life where maybe I think of myself, I think of one of the places where I met God, I think of my parents' church back home. If you're looking at the front of the church, it's on the right-hand side. It's about three feet in. From the, there's two altars there. There's a, a wooden altar that goes across the front, and then there's a stage, and on the stage there's, there's carpet, and they turned that into an altar that goes around. About three feet in, I met God there numerous times. I remember the times, there's, there were a lot of tears that were poured out there. There was a lot of things that God did in my life there. And so as I look back at a place where I can go and meet God, I recognize that God ministered to me in that place before. So sometimes there's places that we have in our life where we can meet with God. I'll tell you another place where we meet with God is, is around the altars here at, at our church. There's something that happens, whether it's symbolic, it's a place where we, where we pour ourselves out before God, where we humble ourselves before Him. So for some people, it's, it may be a chair in your bedroom, or it may be a corner of your living room, or you may have a place at your house that this is the chair that you pray in, or this is the prayer closet that you have for yourself as it was. And in that place, God's spoken to you, and, and God has ministered to you. And I'll tell you what, there's something about when we build an altar Throughout Scripture, we find that they build an altar. If you travel someplace to meet with God, when we make that purpose in our hearts, Lord, I'm going to meet with you, we find that in that place, God ministers to his people. The third thing is fast to hear the word of God. When you are discouraged, when you are depressed, when despondency and fear is filling your heart and your mind. My sister was telling me, about some material she had read, how our subconscious mind, how many thoughts go through it every second. It's like, I don't remember if it was like hundreds of thousands, just like, boom, you know, all these thoughts. And how it's hard for our regular mind to overcome our subconscious mind. Because see, if in your subconscious mind, you feel this way, I can't do it. If that voice that typically says when a challenge comes your way, When a challenge comes your way, if in your subconscious mind it says, you can't do that. That first thought, that needs to be overcome or overruled. That's why the word says this, to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then, transferred by the renewing of our minds, we'll be able to discern what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But as long as we believe those thoughts that are there from the enemy, those thoughts of fear, those thoughts of doubt, those thoughts of lack, as long as we believe that, then a lot of times it carries out in our actions. The word says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And we need to allow God to begin to deal with those. Even though Elijah had just called down fire from God, fire from heaven, even though he had faced all of these victories and trials before, there was something inside of him whenever Jezebel said, tomorrow you're going to be dead, that he goes out and wants to die. There was some thinking in his mind that wasn't lining up with the word of God. Now, a lot of us will say, well, and I've often taught this, 
that it was an incredible great, there was really strong spiritual forces that were at work. And Elijah was probably tired as well. But see, as long until God changes our thinking, until God changes the way that we view ourselves and we view ourselves in him and we view him, a lot of times we're going to make wrong decisions. A lot of times we're going to be tormented. We're going to be fearful. We're going to be discouraged. We're going to be doubting. That's why it's important for you to be studying the word of God. That's why it's important for you to know the word of God. That's why it's vital for you to be spending time reading the word of God and filling your mind with God's word. Why? Because there's all these other lies that try to come in. The enemy wants you to hear that you can't do it, that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you don't, God's not going to use you. Now, also by fasting, we allow God to speak into our spirits. There's something about whenever a person fasts and prays, it's as if that they're, because they've said no to their flesh, it's as if their spiritual ears are awake. I've had different people who told me as they fasted during this time, my head's clearer in a physical sense. My head's clearer. I can, you know, I can hear better. My senses are more alive. In the same way, our spiritual senses are more alive. Number four, let the word of God reveal your weakness. Twice in this scripture, God asked Elijah the same question. What are you doing here? God used that question as kind of like a mirror to challenge Elijah to reflect upon where he was and what was going on inside of him. It's kind of like the prodigal son. The scripture says he's standing there in the pig pen and that he came to himself. And he said, what am I doing here? You know, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life spiritually where like the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this fear? What are you doing in this discouragement? What are you doing in this depression? What are you doing in this place of temptation? Get out of here. You don't belong here. That's one of the things I think what God wants to do. He wants to awaken us and he asks Elijah that question, what are you doing here? Well, God... Oh, they're killing all the prophets. The people are rejecting you. And I'm the only one. That place of self-pity, that place of discouragement and hopelessness, I'm the only one that's seeking God. He was blinded. The cool thing is, is God goes to answer him. And one of the things is when God answers us, a lot of us love it. A lot of us love it when God speaks to us, or when God answers by fire. And so that's kind of what Elijah thought he was going to do, because that had been his style up to that point. He says, Elijah was bold and courageous, and all of these things on the outward. God says, go stand in the doorway of the cave. Elijah steps to the doorway, and we find three things. We find fire, wind, and an earthquake. I mean, like wind that blew the mountain apart. You know, the funny thing was, God wasn't in any of those things. What? Because God has answered you a particular way doesn't mean he's always going to answer you in that same way every time. You understand that? When we talk about this idea of fasting and praying and seeking God, we need to allow God to change you from the inside out. Because see, here's Elijah. Elijah tried to justify himself by saying he was the only, I'm the only one who's serving God. And God says, okay, like you said, he stepped into that doorway. But God wasn't in the fire. 
He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the still, small voice. Let that sink into your head for a minute. God was in the still, small voice. He was not in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He was in the still, small voice. There was another small voice that was speaking to him earlier that said, you better run. There was another voice that had been speaking into his head saying, you're no better done all of this and nothing's changed. You're no better off than your ancestors. You're wasting your time. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just die? Listen, the way that God, I believe, wants to work in people's lives. I love it when he answers by fire. I mean, it's exciting. It's fun. It's cool to see. But there's times that God's going to answer in a quiet, in a still small voice that is even more powerful that the fire can't affect. Do you understand that? That the earthquake can't affect. There's people who have incredible, God uses them great and mighty ways. And yet they're still vulnerable because of some of the voices. We're talking that, that self-doubt, that self-fear, those that speak to us. And here's what it said. Here's the thing. Habits are broken from within. When we fast and pray, we're looking for God to change us in a dramatic fashion. But sometimes, He breaks the power of those negative attitudes one thought at a time. Habits are broken the way they're developed. I know what you like. We want habits broken. You want me, you want the the preacher or the evangelist or the TV guy to take off his coat and throw it on the crowd and everybody like, and then I wake up and all my problems are gone. And now what we like now, I'll be honest, I kind of like that too. I think that's kind of pretty cool. Many times God wants to deal with our mind, deal with our hearts one thought at a time with our habits, one action at a time where we replace God's voice, we replace those God's voice over those places of the fears and the lies of the enemy. Now listen, you respond to each fearful thought with the truth of God's word. You respond to each temptation with the discipline. Sometimes the breakthrough that God wants to bring is that he strengthens you to overcome that fear that lie, that habit, that, sh- that yoke, one thought at a time, one act at a time. Almost like an onion that's peeled back. You know, it has different layers. Just keep peeling more and more off. And there's times that God wants to deal with issues of our heart. If you're just going to wait, something fire falls from heaven, and God takes care of that, some of you are going to be waiting for a while. But if we'll agree with him and allow his Holy Spirit, that's why it's so important for you to be in the word. That's why it's so vital for you to be in the word of God. Because his word will transform us. As we're here today, can I just want to pray for you? And I just want to pray this. We fasted. You fasted. Now this is what we're going to believe. We're going to believe that God is going to give you power. That he's going to empower you to be able to hear the still small voice. Because that's where he, with, with Elijah, that's where he was. Elijah was so expecting the fire to fall. 
But God said, I'm gonna, I spoke to him in a still, small voice. And then he, what did he do? He, gave, he put him back to his work. I got a job for you to do. Get out of this place. You go and do the work that I've called you to do. And, and for you, maybe there's someone here today and you're just discouraged or depressed. Maybe there's someone who's overcome by fears or anxieties or worries. Maybe some of you have habits in your, of thinking in your mind. that you say, Pastor, I've just always been negative. That's just the way I am. I've just always been afraid. My mom told me I couldn't do it, so I can't do it. You know, my dad said I was this. Don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, Father God, I just thank you today for our congregation, each person who's here. I ask you, Lord, that you would bless them. I ask that you would touch their minds right now. I pray, Lord, that our minds would be renewed by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we'd have the strength to listen to your voice, that still small voice that still speaks to people today. That as we seek your word, Lord, maybe, the, maybe in the past we've said, well, I'll never change this attitude. I'll always have this wrong attitude. I'll always have this negative habit. That's just the way I am. That's who I am, and everybody has to accept that. And Lord, yet it holds us back from being all that you want us to be. So I pray, Lord, just that in this morning, that you'd begin to speak to people's hearts and their lives. And I pray that they would allow you, Lord, they would allow you, that whenever they're in a situation, that they would be able to say like David, well, wait a minute. As David faced Goliath, he said, wait a minute. I faced the lion and the bear, and God delivered them into my hands. So you uncircumcised Philistine, this day God's going to deliver you into my hands as well. May we look at, look at things and the challenges that we face through the eyes of God. May we have hope in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Just go with your people, Lord, and bless and strengthen them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.